everybody. Thank you for tuning in to episode 33 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father, four ultra marathon runner and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that's helping people reclaim their lives from pornography addiction and compulsive sexual behavior. If you or somebody that you know is struggling with pornography addiction, please point them to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that's pathbackrecovery.com. Uh, sorry, a little bit of a rough start there. I think this was probably the third or fourth time that I was jumping into the, hey, thanks for tuning into the virtual couch. Um, kind of stumbled on my words a couple times, then didn't hit the, the record button. Thought I did. Um, had a little hiccup there. So it uh, looks like we're recording. I see sound waves. Looks like we're a go. Um, today's episode is brought to you by our friends at Eli's Extracts. Um, use the coupon code virtual couch, all one word, at E-L-I-S-E-X-T-R-A-C-T-S.com. Eli's makes an all-natural organic shaving cream for any part of the body. Use it on my head again today. My head is nice and shiny, and it's scented with the healing goodness from a essential oils. And we're also brought to you by Bloom for Women. And this is a program that I am very passionate about. Uh, already had some people sign up at bloomforwomen.com, um, signing up with the coupon code virtualcouch, all one word, to get one month free uh, to their evidence-based program for any type of betrayal trauma. Um, Bloom for Women, was it's a program developed specifically for women to help them recover from the trauma associated with betrayal, betrayal of any kind, whether it's betrayal from a spouse who may have a pornography or sex addiction, um, if there's been infidelity, or if it's even emotional betrayal from an affair, compulsive lying. So please visit bloomforwomen.com and use coupon code virtualcouch. That gives you one month free access to all of their programs. And, uh, and then you can kind of go from there, see what they have behind their um, behind the, the the wall there, behind the website, when you sign up, there's an entire community. There's there's self-paced trainings. There's podcasts. Um, uh, there's all kinds of things there that will help women recover from any type of trauma associated from betrayal. So uh, let's get to the episode today. Um, I'm kind of curious. Have you ever told a lie? And if you just kind of said right then that no, you never have, then I don't know. I might kind of call you out and say that uh, that might be a lie in itself. I've been waiting to get to this topic for quite some time, and uh, I've actually been taking notes on it. Uh, it all kind of originated from, um, I mean, I, I have the opportunity to work with people that do struggle with the truth, and, uh, and and every now and again as a therapist, you know, part of, well, actually not every now and again, always in my initial kind of um, first session, I, I try to make that plea that it really doesn't do a client any good to lie to their therapist. The therapist is the place where we're hoping that you can just unburden every Everything, and then we can kind of unpack all of that, those, those bags around where lying comes from, what you feel like lying does for you, and, uh, and then we can work with that. Um, and so there's one of the things to think about. And then I, I can't lie, I, was, uh, I literally heard a kid, um, oh, this was a few weeks ago actually, but say the liar, liar, pants on fire, and he took it all the way through to the hanging him from a telephone wire. And sometimes I become obsessed with just the origin of phrases. I think I've gone through a couple of those in earlier episodes of the podcast. Hey, little do you know, but I just did one of my first edits ever on the Virtual Couch podcast, and you you will thank me for this. It's something you won't even know uh, how much you will thank me for. I just went on for like 10 minutes on the origin of where liar, liar, pants on fire comes from. And uh, man, I, I, don't, I think I wasted a lot of time. So let me try to see if I can get it narrowed down to nine minutes this time. 
common phrase with a long deceptive history from the website Atlas Obscura um, talks about we there's a guy named Barry Popic and he tried to trace the origin of liar liar pants on fire and he got the liar liar part with no pants on fire as early as the 1400s um, he found people using the phrase liar liar lick dish don't hear that one anymore but that one uh, dug into the complete phrase Popic did and he said that um, the lick dish is the it, it's your someone is lying as fast as a dog will lick a dish so again, that one didn't stick around. So then in the, what was it, 1840s, a little poem comes to light, and uh, it's an English naval ballad. It says, liar, liar, lick, spit, turn around the candlestick. What's good for the liar? Brimstone and fire. Now we have liar and we have fire. All we're missing are pants. So then uh, this topic found that in the 30s, 1933, there was a wrestler named Fat Pat McGill. He was set to wrestle Steve Savage, and a local promoter said that he is being deluged by letters and swamped by phone calls buried under an avalanche of telegrams, and uh, people kind of said he wasn't telling the truth about that, that, that there really wasn't a lot of interest, surprisingly, in Fat Pat McGill wrestling Steve Savage. And so this promoter responded back, It is so, you liar, liar, pants on fire. Um, and apparently there were several people who then traced that as the origin. Now we've got, we got liars, we have fire, and we have pants. The only problem, we really don't know um, when that pants kind of came in there. And he said it with such kind of, it was deployed so casually that it suggests that this promoter might have been using a phrase that was already there. The, I went into a lot of, you know, there was a couple of um, people who actually came up and created poems that turn out to be fake poems just to try to um, show where the origin of Liar Liar Pants on Fire came. So there you go. I just saved you. I, I saved five minutes on this one. But uh, so Liar Liar Pants on Fire um, has uh, an origin. Uh, you know what? I'm going to stop talking right now. Let's get back to the episode. So let's go back to, um, let's talk about the truth behind pathological and compulsive liars. So the, the concept is, is real. We all do lie, um, but some people take it to extremes. And uh, in my practice, I have seen situations where it has literally destroyed relationships, um, some situations where it's destroyed careers. And, uh, and so that's the part where we know that this is a real problem. Um, and I'm trying to, I would love for you to think, when's the last time you told a lie? I mean, it could have been earlier today when you're listening to this podcast, uh, or sometimes we don't even recognize because there's a very variety of lies, lies of omission. Um, there's lies that we feel like we are protecting others. Um, there's lies where we're trying to just make ourselves look a little bit better. And in certain situations like jobs or work, um, we feel justified. We feel like we can beef up our, um, the beef up our truths to make us look better. So, but, but some people do take it to extremes. Uh, I have to tell you one of the, one of the most difficult things for me is, um, just when I'm sitting in with a client and at times when you do kind of feel like you are pretty aware that somebody might not be telling the truth, um, a lot of, a lot of body language that you're seeing in a session or some of the stories that kind of don't just make sense. The problem is, um, most people that, that have an issue with honesty, uh, it, it just comes as second nature or there are times as well where, you know, they don't even recognize the cues that they're giving off. And I'm trying to build rapport as a therapist to, to kind of provide them with a safe place to maybe open up and say, you know what, I do, I do have a problem with lying. And uh, that was a lie. And that is honestly some of the best work that I get to do. And I've, I've worked with many clients who have done that. I've also worked with clients where that has been the exact opposite, uh, where there have been some some very, very evident lies or uh, lots of situations where I might have a little bit of background that uh, 
that the client might not even know about um, just because of just situations maybe about a particular company or, or an event or things like that and, and uh, that I, must, I might have some awareness around and so I might know that a client is lying but um, that doesn't do me any good to just call them out in the moment. So we kind of have to get to this point where you can help somebody recognize um, that their, their lying is a problem. Uh, but but we all have those kind of classic thoughts around, you know, the lies that we feel like are okay. Um, the lies where if somebody says, what do you think about my new haircut? And you don't think it looks good, but you tell them, oh, it's great. Or the ever classic, do I look, uh, how, what, what, do my butt look big in these jeans? Or do, you know, hey, do these extra 10 pounds that the scales telling me, do those show? And of course, you know, saying that it doesn't. So Dr. Robert Feldman, um, he's a PhD and professor of psychological and brain sciences at University of Massachusetts in Amherst, says, lying is a part and parcel of everyday life. He said, in a sense, lies are the lubricants that move social interaction forward. I thought that was kind of an interesting phrase, right? Um, There's another uh, gentleman, Dr. Ekman, who says, compulsive liars tell the stories that they think want to be heard, while pathological liars just continue to lie, even when they know that you know they're lying. And I think that's kind of the big distinction that I see. So a compulsive liar tells the stories that they think want to be heard. They tell the stories that they think make them look better. They tell the stories that they think will make situations easier so they may not have to, to deal with conflict. And, uh, and so in their minds, I think that there's this combination of justification and maybe even a habit of where compulsive liars come from. But the pathological liar is the one who, you know, and we did, a, I did an episode on narcissism last week or the week before. And so pathological liars, we kind of dip into that personality disorder category where there's this point where is there even self-awareness around lying? Um, so out of control lying, um, which can be either compulsive or pathological, uh, the definitions are kind of fluid, uh, according to experts. Um, this Paul Ekman, um, who, uh, who has a, he also participated in some research around lying or theft of truth. He said compulsive liars have a need to embellish and exaggerate. Uh, he's a, I guess he's a professor emeritus at uh, University of California, San Francisco, and the author of the book Telling Lies. He said they tell stories that they think want to be heard. When you ask a compulsive liar for an opinion on an important issue, he says they're likely to say something like this. You know, you made a very wise choice in asking my opinion, but many people do. Um, and then they'll just embellish like their credentials. They will, they will kind of puff themselves up. And, uh, and then you will know oftentimes that the lie is going to follow. It's just this embellishment, this exaggeration. Um, pathological lie. Well, let me kind of, he has another phrase I think is interesting. He said, often they're pretty good liars and you often believe what they say, at least for a little while. There's, I work with a lot of uh, people, especially in couples therapy, where there's kind of just enough truth in, in, a, in a statement where it just has people kind of saying, eh, you know, maybe they, maybe they're just, uh, maybe they're just, um, you know, uh, confused about the question I asked, or or maybe they didn't really understand the question because there's a little bit of truth in their answer. So uh, that's the part where you know someone will seem like a pretty good liar, and then it's it's hard. It's hard at times for people, um, especially when it's someone that they care about, to kind of call someone out and say, "Hey, that doesn't make sense. That's not the truth," because oftentimes, whether it is a compulsive liar. Or a pathological liar, um, obviously they don't enjoy being called out on a lie. And so you get this phrase, this term of gaslighting that we talked about in the narcissism issue, where at times this defensive reaction can be so strong, you know, it's how dare you question me about what I just told you, even if you know it's a lie. And eventually people, this we, we, we use this phrase, 
they pick their battles, right? And uh, when in reality, the more times that we let the pathological or compulsive liar kind of move forward with his or her lie, the more we're kind of reinforcing that behavior that they got away with it. Uh, So Elkman says pathological liars are a little more bold. He said they continue to lie when they know that you know they're lying. And he said that the two lying types are pretty similar, but be it uh, compulsive and pathological. And he said you can also be a compulsive pathological liar. Neither compulsive nor pathological lying has been studied extensively, say both Feldman and Ekman. They say, I don't think we really know enough about the, uh, the causes of lying to these to know if they should be considered a mental disorder. For example, experts don't know for sure what drives troublesome lying. They know that impulsivity and a need to impress can be linked to the habit, but they've often debated if these, are, if these types... Um, of lying or symptoms, uh, or if they are diseased. There is a little bit of uh, brain study around this. Liars' brains actually may differ structurally from the average brain. In a study in the British Journal of Psychiatry, scientists did brain scans on pathological liars and others, and I thought this was interesting. They found that the liars had more white matter in the brain's prefrontal cortex, so that kind of concluded an increase in white matter may somehow provide these what they deem super liars with the literal the cognitive or brain capacity to lie. So while most of these everyday lies are goal-directed, maybe you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings with an overweight uh, friend, pathological lies often just seem purpose, uh, just kind of purposeless, that they don't really have a reason. Um, and sometimes lies are even kind of self-incriminating, and that, that makes it much more difficult to even figure out. So one more comment from this uh, study. Compared to pathological liars, compulsive liars can get along pretty well in life, says Ekman. Compulsive liars usually get away with it because they tell the lies we want to hear. So fortunately, neither type of liar is common. I thought this was, and I found this across the research I did for this episode. Um, Ekman estimates that fewer than 5% of people lie compulsively or pathologically. And uh, so the big question is, can a compulsive or pathological liar change? And here's the, you know, this is the, the kind of the tough part. In Ekman's experience, he said, most liars who are compulsive or pathological don't want to change enough to enter treatment. Uh, and this is where I get to see them. Usually, you, they only come to treatment if they've been directed by a court order or if they've gotten into trouble. Or, you know, so after the lives have resulted in some sort of, uh, maybe it's a bankruptcy, a divorce, a loss of career. I get a lot of them in couples therapy and where, you know, the lying has led to a, basically heading toward the end of a relationship. And there's not a lot of research either on treatment options for liars um, with the, the thought being that counseling or psychotherapy might have might help if you have some awareness, if the liar is aware and wants to work on it. I've seen some amazing things where people have, you know, once they kind of feel like we can we can get to the root of why one lies. And, and I'll tell you, I went to a training long ago and I couldn't find the research on this. But it talked about, you know, lying was basically it was a control issue. So it's for a lot of people that maybe feel like they lack control in their lives. And so by in their mind, the lying is trying to control the narrative or control the story. Um, one of the cases I worked with a long time ago, and, and I mean, we're talking a really long time ago, which is a person who had come from a very successful family. And uh, this person did not achieve as much success as siblings and parents. And so this person kind of created this life that uh, because they thought that that was what would impress their parents and siblings. Um, the challenge became when this person was then in a relationship and then just felt like uh, the person couldn't stop the lying. And they even went to the extent of pulling money out of a credit card and creating fa- uh, pay stubs. And, you know, meanwhile, just kind of going and just hanging out at, uh, at a library, at a bookstore, that sort of thing throughout their day. 
And that was a good one. That one ended up okay. I mean, that one, I, that one, we eventually were able to kind of get to the bottom of where that line came from and these feelings of disappointment. And then here's, you know, if we go to the good old uh, EFT skills, uh, shout out to episode 26 of the Virtual Couch Podcast. Um, EFT, I use this phrase, giving something a voice. And so we were able to help this guy kind of uh, trust, trust the people that were close to him, uh, that, that, you know, there were some things that... Um, he had a trouble being vulnerable about some particular failures in life or, and uh, some direction that uh, he felt like people would really, you know, think that he was, um, that he was not living up to his uh, true capacity. And so we were able to give that a voice and the people around him were wonderful. And he was able to start really pointing out um, when he wanted to lie. That's one of the biggest things I've seen is when sometime, when someone will come in and say, Hey, I recognized in a moment that I told a lie about where I was, where I was going, what I was doing. I didn't even need to. You know, there was no need to, but it just kind of came out impulsively. And that's one of those things where we feel like we can start making some progress. Um, so, so obviously, you know, the goal in my world is always to try to get somebody into seek treatment before things go too south. So I, I found a lot of, I just did a lot of research on just kind of these facts about lying. So there's a USA Today article, and I thought this was uh, uh, interesting, kind of like from the no-duh category. Study finds avoiding lies can improve health. Um, they said that uh, Americans tell an average of 11 lies a week. Now, I actually found in some of the research it looks a little bit more, um, that, that might be a little more often. So um, we'll get to that in a little bit. So here's another one. I thought this was fascinating. There are three lies that people are willing to accept in online dating. Uh, the Wall Street Journal ran an article called The Psychology of Online Dating a few years ago, and it would here are the three lies that apparently people were willing to accept. Number one, small exaggerations like lying about an inch in height or a few pounds, uh, things where the average person couldn't eyeball the difference. Number two, things you can hide like calling yourself a non-smoker um, when you might be a casual smoker. So the theory there is the person's thinking that if things get serious enough, you could quit smoking without the other person ever knowing. Or number three, idealize things that might come true. And this is one I hear a lot when I'm working with uh, single clients. Um, like a hobby, uh, there was, I always think back to um, this, this wonderful woman I was working with who, who saw a profile of someone who he said, I love hiking. Well, this woman really, really loved hiking. So, you know, she's like, let's go on a hike. And then it's where you show up. And, and this, uh, this, this guy, I don't even think he owned a pair of hiking boots or anything, didn't really know anywhere to go hiking. And so I'm sure in his mind, you kind of thought, yeah, I can fake this one. And hey, forgive me, but I may have told this one on the Narcissist uh, podcast. I might not have. But it is funny because liars, you know, when it becomes something that is just second nature, um, these compulsive liars, as we kind of just talked about, I don't think they often think that part through. One of the things that I find interesting is when you have somebody that's lying about a situation, something that they did, somewhere that they lived, or, or, or but it's a lie, and then they happen to be around somebody that knows a lot about that subject, like this hiking example. Where I was going with this was, uh, and again, forgive me if I told this story just a couple of weeks ago, but uh, I think I did, but um, I, was, uh, I had an opportunity to interact with somebody um, many years ago. This was right after I had um, gotten out of college. And somebody that uh, had told me that they had had an opportunity to play professional baseball. And I had literally just um, had a pretty decent high school baseball career, tried to do a little bit in college, and uh, just kind of got burned out. It wasn't as exciting as I thought it would be. But I was all in on baseball. knew everything about baseball. I lived my life about baseball up to that point. And so I was like, man, okay, I want to hear all about the, this guy's experience. And he tells me that he had been drafted, but that apparently he had wanted to play, and I could get this part wrong, the National League, but he had been drafted by the American League or vice versa. So he decided that he wasn't going wasn't gonna to do it. 
And I just remember thinking, whoa, okay, I do not believe you for a second at that point. You know, if you got to the point where you were drafted to play professional baseball, um, you could, you know, it doesn't matter if you're American League, National League, minor, whatever it is that uh, I can guarantee that people, well, guarantee, pretty confident that people are going to take that opportunity. Um, all right, back to some of the other types of uh, uh, lying, research around lying. The most famous moment in honesty uh, in history is a lie. So, and I wonder if, if I had to say, hey, what story do you tell kids? Maybe this isn't as popular anymore, but talking about um, President George Washington. There you go. You probably said to yourself that uh, his father said, who chopped down this cherry tree when his father confronted him? He said, I cannot tell a lie. I cut down the tree. So anyway, the parable is about not lying, but it's actually a lie. It was made up by a writer, pastor, traveling book salesman named um, Mason Weems. So uh, sorry, George Washington. I'm sure he was an honest guy, but uh, but not about the cherry tree. Um, a few more here. There, some of these are a little bit obvious as well. People are more likely to lie when they're writing than when they're talking to you face to face. And uh, I like this. There are four. This is according to a Forbes article. Um, Four tricks to catching online dating liars about two-thirds of the time. And this was a team out of Cornell in Wisconsin. They figured out four things to look for that are the signs of a liar. Number one, they don't write I or me very much. And that's this kind of subconscious or conscious attempt to distance themselves from the lies. Number two, they use negation, like not sad instead of happy. And number three, they write shorter self-descriptions with few specific details, kind of uh, very vague and ambiguous. And number four, if they have a photo up, um, then they don't also describe their appearance. That's the good old classic, hey, uh, this photo makes me look good. I won't you know, mention the fact that that was from 10 years ago when I was in peak physical condition. So looking out from those four things can help uh, spot liars online roughly two-thirds of the time. Um, just a real quick one on here. Yahoo Finance had an article that said one in 12 people lie on their resume. And out of that, those one out of 12, so out of those 8% of Americans that have lied on their resume, 27% said they got caught and uh, fired. Um, and 3% of those were caught in the interview process and not hired. Uh, 6% were caught and were able to keep their job. So that was kind of ironic or kind of kind of interesting. This one is fascinating to me too. In college, I managed a chain of video stores. So I was a bit of a movie file. And um, there's a British movie rental company called Love Film, and uh, they they had a reader poll, and it was about the top 10 movies that people lie about saying that they watched. And I just, I, I thought that was really funny. What a, what a kind of a interesting list. But number one on the list is The Godfather. And so I go back to my movie store days. I never watched The Godfather. And ironically, I was talking with a client about The Godfather last night, and, uh, and I said, you know, I've never seen that one. Um, but I used to. I used to say I had, and, and for no reason, right? That was one of those where I'm, I'm uh, managing this uh, chain of video stores. I'd pop in somewhere. Somebody wants to know, um, you know, the I don't know the best movie of all time, and somebody would say they heard about The Godfather. I think in this time that I was working in the video store, The Godfather Three came out. So people were, you know, asking me, "Is this one any good?" And you know, I'd never seen one or two, and uh, and I'd, <laughs> I'd memorize some lines from other. You know, did you like one? Um, you know, and, and so I think there were times where I said, oh, yeah, yeah, love The Godfather. And then funny to me as well, number six on this list was the movie This is Spinal Tap. That's another one that I think was pretty big when I was in high school or college. And I know that there's this uh, phrase that people say where you're turning up the volume to 11. So I know that phrase. And so I don't know if I've actually ever said that I've, I saw Spinal Tap and loved it. But I sure make the uh, kind of make it sound like I have when I when I know what people are saying about turning volume up to 11. Um, Journal Marketing and Communications has a funny one. It says, we prefer, um, we, we don't think that people with beards are liars. I thought that one was interesting. 
but but even more specifically, this said that people prefer bearded men in advertisements for everything except um, underwear. So cell phones, toothpaste, that sort of thing, then, then uh, they don't think that people with beards are as big of liars as someone clean-shaven. So that one's kind of fun. Uh, just a couple more things here, and then we'll wrap it up. Some lying statistics. Percentage of adults who admit to telling lies sometimes or often, 12%. Um, percent of women who admit to occasionally telling harmless half-truths, 80%. Percentage of people who admit to lying on resumes, 31%. Percent of patients who lie to their doctor, 13%. Uh, percent of patients who stretch the truth to their doctor, 32%. And I thought that's kind of funny too, right? That's that's telling. Uh, people who say, I lied to my doctor or I stretched the truth to my doctor. Um, stretch the truth. Is that lying? Uh, percent of patients who lied about following a doctor's treatment plan, 40%. Love that one. It's like, you bet. I'm doing everything I can, doc, um, even if they haven't. Um, percent of patients who lied about diet and exercise, 30%. Man, I think that one's, I think they're like, that's a bunch of people lying right there. Um, percent of people who lie at least once during a 10 minute conversation. Here we go. 60% admit that they lie at least once during a 10 minute conversation. Average number of lies per day by men to their partner, boss, or colleagues, six. So this one goes into six lies a day. That other one had said 11 lies in a week. This is more along the lines of what I've heard. I've heard, um, between eight and 20 lies a day is what people do. Average number of lies per day by women to their partner, boss, or colleague, three or about half of that of men. Bottom line, though, is there's plenty of lying going on on a daily basis. So uh, one more thing I want to cover. It's it's uh, this is from Psychology Today, and it kind of talks about why we lie and how to stop. And, and in this article, uh, it starts with talking about a scene from a movie. Something's got to give. Now, this is another one of those that I have not seen, but I think at one point I may have said that I had seen. But it said it simply and succinctly captures one reality about the truth. After catching the man she loves on a date with another woman, Diane Keaton is chased out of the restaurant by a guilty and distraught Jack Nicholson. When he finally stops her, he pleads, I have never lied to you, and I have always told you some version of the truth. She replies, the truth doesn't have versions, okay? Um, and that's the truth. So the truth can have many sides to it. It might be complicated or hard to understand. But, but in, you know, in, it, the truth exists. Uh, there is a version of the truth. But most of us have trouble with the truth. So we might not be outright liars, but we might shade the truth to make it fit more comfortably into our lives or to keep it from disrupting anything in our careers or relationships or even just in a very moment. And that's where I think we get back into some of that compulsive lying. Uh, admission of, I mean, honesty issues are hard. Uh, you know, I, um, here's what I see often is where when someone then finally does have a, get, get a little bit of traction, a little bit of awareness around lying and wanting to stop lying, you know, then they will say, and this is a phrase I hear often, it's like, okay, but I'm being honest about this stuff. You know, one particular area of their lives they've decided to come clean about. And, and then these people will get upset that their spouse, their partner, their boss doesn't, doesn't find that significant. But, uh, I think what the, the trouble here is, is that, you know, when someone says, sure, okay, I lie, and maybe I even lie often, but I'm willing to stop my lies around this one particular area, and you need to trust me about that. Now, what's the, what's the irony there? We're, we're saying, um, I know I've been lying, and I'm lying about lying, and I'm still going to maybe lie in these other areas, but trust me when I tell you I'm not lying in this one particular area. So that's, but that's, a, you know, it's a, it's a step. It's, it's a step in the right direction of having some, um, some honesty, some, kind of getting some honesty out there. Uh, in her research, a PhD named Bella DePaulo found that people lie in basically one in five of their daily interactions. There's a, and this is a great um, 
TED Talk you can look up online by a woman named Pamela Meyer. She's the author of a book called Lie Spotting. And she claims in her TED Talk that we're lied to from 10 to 200 times a day. She says it's important to consider how honest is the world we've created around ourselves. How often do we ourselves tell lies? But then on the flip side, and I think this is where we go back to some of the stuff that I get really passionate about. She says, on the flip side, do we intimidate others in ways that might encourage them to shade the truth. This goes back to whether uh, I talk about, you know, the the parent who says to the teenager, you can tell me anything, champ, you know, and then the kid comes up and says, I got an F or I, I wrecked a car or I smoked pot or whatever, and then the parent loses their mind. Um, that is like the perfect example. Or a spouse doing the same thing, right? I do a lot, and not trying to excuse someone with addiction, but, you know, one of the things that's difficult is where I will hear where, you know, someone might be caught up in a, in a, in a sexual addiction, pornography addiction. And meanwhile, you know, there, and, and granted, I don't, I want you to know, there's no part of me that is saying uh, um, that I don't understand, especially after going through some betrayal trauma training, that what the partner is going through, but, but oftentimes the addict, when things are finally out in the clear, will say, you know, they want to, they wanted to try to come clean or, or be open or upfront. But meanwhile, they have a, you know, they hear their spouse constantly talk about, you know, someone else's husband who is doing this. And man, I would, I would, you know, rip this guy's throat out if, 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 you know, if that was you, you know, that sort of thing. So do we intimidate others in ways that might encourage them to shade the truth, whether it's teenagers, our partners, people at work, that sort of thing? Are we being empathetic? Are we being open, inviting? Um, do we encourage people to say, hey, here's my thought? Or do we shut that down with our good old fixing and judgment statement? Uh, it's common for people to only say parts of the truth that they feel are acceptable or that what they think that people want to hear. I think that's, again, goes back to a big part of that compulsive lying where people just, they want to tell people what they want to hear because then they get these positive reactions. And at their core, people want to be loved or wanted. And so when they are telling people what they want to hear, um, then they, you know, they kind of, everybody gets this nice rush of euphoria and feel good chemicals in the brain. So even lies told in the name of protecting others can kind of leave you feeling bad about yourself because you kind of still know at your core that you're not being very authentic. Um, and you know, and one of these cliches we often hear is that when you lie, sometimes it's hard to keep up with the lies and a lie might follow another lie. And at this point, um, you know, you don't even know what your version of reality is. Uh, so in the, there's a couple of different types of lies that, uh, that this author goes into in the Psychology Today article as well. Um, she talked about controlling your response. So when you talk to a close friend, maybe about an interaction with a coworker or, or your partner, do you only tell your side of the story? I mean, do you leave out and that is that you're controlling the response. You are not letting people know that you may have played a part in some situation. So you leave out small but significant details about something that you brought to the table in a conversation. Do you rephrase um, some of the things that you said in the moment, uh, because you got to think about even these subtle changes might influence uh, someone else's attitude or response. Are you basically you're controlling their response, right? Are you kind of shading the truth enough so that you can get your friend or co our colleague, uh, partner, um, boss to then say what you want to hear? Do you want them to basically say, man, I don't you were in the right. I don't know how you deal with that. You know, in the end, though, how authentic is their response? If you are the one that manipulated the outcome, if you controlled the response, so this goes back to being vulnerable, being able to open up. When you control the response by shading the truth, you're creating like this alternate reality um, between you and this other person. It's almost like, and then you got the whole butterfly effect thing going on, right? Now this person might think, you know, I'll think differently about you. And now maybe they think you're this victim and they think the person that you were talking about is some, you know, evil monster. And, and they're giving you advice that's based on this faulty information. 
And uh, so, so that's a, a lying by controlling your response. There's also the good old classic, I mentioned this a little earlier, lying by, by omission. With this one, I think about food journals. I think about when you hear about people that are saying, man, I'm, I'm losing weight. I mean, I don't even know what's going on. I don't, I don't cheat on my diet. Um, you know, except for, I guess, you know, I mean, one example comes to mind is someone that was keeping a food journal, but then they were stopping by and, and drinking, you know, two or three large non-diet, full sugar, thousand calorie each beverages. Um, but they were like, yeah, but I mean, they weren't really talking about that or they would say, man, I have sticked to my diet like a champ all week. Um, but then later on in the narrative, you hear about, you know, kind of going out to eat and, and some celebratory moments and that sort of thing. Um, and another one that comes to mind is uh, I had uh, a trainer that I that I, were, I was friends with, and they talked about um, you know again food journals being what people people had a hard time being honest with them, and uh, and so one person you know they just said hey you said nuts were healthy so I've been eating a bag a day you know but it wasn't even like raw almonds it was uh, good old um, you know roasted in peanut oil I think honey roasted cashews and the person was uh, you know they weren't kind of being honest they were lying by omission. Um, but everybody has times where they leave out the less than desirable details, and and sometimes you do it because you want to. You know, you're sensitive. You want to spare somebody's feelings. People get self-deprecating. Um, so, like, if your partner says, "Hey, what'd you do today?" and you might have had an interaction with a, an ex, you know, your ex or a partner or somebody that you know that they would not. Um, be excited to hear that you interacted with. Um, so rather than just saying, hey, I know this might be difficult, but uh, you know, I ran into my ex and uh, I did say hi, but I, I, you know, I tried to get out of there as quick as I could. Um, but we will lie by omission. We won't tell somebody that. And then and again, this starts to build this like uh, gap in a relationship or there's always a chance that down the road, quite frankly, you get uh, caught, right? So, you know, whether there's nothing to hide or something that real, you'd rather them not know, leaving out significant facts kind of makes you feel not authentic and it can just create a disaster and nightmare down the road. So our goal is trying to create this environment where you can be open about these things and promote a feeling of this mutual trust, open and honest communication, the good old EFT concepts that I I love that I preach, Um, being able to say, you know, hey, here's what happened and your partner knowing that their, their job is to... They want to know what you're thinking, and so they need to watch their responses and turn off the fixing and judgment. Uh, lying also takes the form of exaggerations. This is where when people's insecurities come into play, they'll exaggerate uh, because they want to. They want people to like them. They want the approval from others. And But again, if we go back to this part where when you are exaggerating, you're not being true to yourself. Our whole point with trying to trying to catch ourselves and, and why we lie is we're afraid of being um, authentic, where we have our insecurities are just screaming at us. Um, the insecurities lead us to think that we have to put out this certain image. Um, there's a there's kind of a fine line between highlighting your attributes and then completely inflating everything that you say about yourself. Um, this was hard for me. That you know, I get an opportunity to speak a lot. Um, this weekend, I'm I'm speaking. Uh, at a single adult conference in Roseville on Saturday for anybody local here. And then on Sunday, I'm speaking at a church in, um, in Lincoln, uh, Summit Christian Church, um, about, about uh, marriage and a couple of uh, things going on next week. But there are times where I've had a really hard time saying no to speaking assignments. And, uh, and that was that part of me that felt like you know, I wanted everybody to, um, to, to like me. And I, wanted to, I didn't want to let people down. But you know, it's healthy to set boundaries, um, to be just completely open and honest. It's okay to say no. Um, it's okay to be vulnerable. It's okay to not make it look like you have everything in your entire life figured out because the truth is most of us don't actually, none of us do. 
Um, self-protection. Sometimes we lie because, and this is a big one. I'll kind of try to end uh, with this one. Uh, we, we often have, this is that inner critic. It's uh, kind of the, you know, if you kind of go back to good old cartoon days, you got this little uh, devil on one side, an angel on the other. That That's the inner critic. Uh, it's like critical inner voice. And so that's the negative self-talk that's often saying, you know, if you're honest, then you're not going to be accepted. Or if you're honest, you're going to really reveal yourself. And then uh, your boss or your partner or somebody is going to say, okay, I'm out of here. You know, I'm, I'm, I can't handle this. So if you forgot somebody's birthday, uh, you know, instead of your little critic inside saying, don't tell her you forgot her birthday, it's only going to lead to a fight. Um, instead of saying, man, you know what? I am so sorry, but I, I did, did it slip my mind and, you know, just being kind of open and honest about it. Um, so in, in at work, we do that a lot too. Um, we worry like, okay, don't, no, don't give somebody else praise. Don't give them the credit. Cause if you let your guard down, they're just going to use the truth. They're going to hurt you. And so by listening to this inner critic, uh, you can, this is going to, it's going to be a hindrance of you trying to be authentic and open. So get to know your inner critic. Um, no, that's go get help, therapy, um, counseling, uh, get to know where this inner critic comes from. There's a whole lot of work I get to do in the addiction world uh, around what's called sub personalities. These sub personalities are parts of your, um, parts of your personality, parts of your ego, parts of your inner voice. And there's typically a place where they come from. They're usually kind of these parts of you that uh, just will continually tell you that you're not any good or you're not worthy of, of praise or attention or that sort of thing. So we need to get to know where that inner voice comes from and we need to basically find nice productive ways to tell it to go take a hike. Uh, and then, so one of the ways that to really start to work with this too is find people that you can trust, find people that you are safe, um, that you can be honest and, uh, and you can open up to them and let them know that they're, you know, this is hard for me to say, this is, I'm being vulnerable now, or, or when you catch yourself in a lie, um, point it out. It's like, man, you know, even, and I, I have people that will halfway through a lie, they get to the point where like, yeah, I know what, that's not the truth, <laughs> you know? Um, so it, it is a conscious decision, a conscious effort. Um, it's worth taking a look at your life right now. Yes, everybody's going to tell a few lies in a day. Typically, they're com- coming from one of these places, exaggerations or lying by omission, trying to control the response. Um, this negative inner voice, kind of self-protection. Um, and then a little bit of that, just uh, you don't want to hurt somebody's feelings. And so, you know, you're ultimately the judge at which ones of those are harmful and which ones aren't. But uh, if you know that this is something that you need to get a handle on, just bring a little awareness to it. Um, I'm going to do a podcast a little bit down the road on the stages of change, and it's really, really cool. But, you know, one of the stages of change is just... Uh, it's just, you know, being aware. It's this contemplation. Um, contemplation kind of says, hey, maybe I need to make a change. And uh, a little heads up here. So there's then uh, there's determination that comes after contemplation, where now it's like we're going to set together a plan and there's action. And the action is when we're going to start um, really putting a plan in place. And we can do that with catching ourselves in lies. So share this podcast with somebody if you think that they might have a little bit of an issue with lying. Um, tried to make it a little bit humorous, but also let you know that uh, at its core, um, whether lying is about control or, or a lack of control or lying is like a need to exaggerate or it's a place where we just want people to love us or um, be more accepting. Um, let's work with that. And let's, uh, cause ultimately if you can find this authentic lane 
um, this authentic path and uh, then that one where you don't feel the need to lie or you can you can just kind of be you and, and learn to be um, okay with that. And that's the you that isn't lying. Uh, I, this is one of those where I feel like we don't even know how much weight we're carrying around. Uh, I see this a lot in the addiction world when people finally just come clean. And it's so hard for them to say, hey, I'm a, I have a problem. But I, I mean, hundreds of, of people I've worked with that talk about just feeling like this huge burden is lifted when they get to be just completely honest and open and there's nothing more to hide because guess what? People kind of still like them and, uh, and there's a lot of good about them. All right. I'm rambling. So thanks for your time. Um, again, uh, you can find um, more uh, podcasts at virtualcouch.xyz um, at my marriage and family, Tony Overbay Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist page on Facebook. I've got an Instagram account, Virtual Couch. And uh, also spread the word about the podcast. If you have a chance, um, please uh, rate it. And even if you want to give a review, that always helps as well. And uh, taking us away, as always, is the wonderful, the talented Aurora Florence. And until next time, I'll see you again on the virtual couch. Compressed emotions flying past our heads and out the other end. The pressures of the daily grind is wonderful. Plastic waste and rubber ghost I'm floating past the midnight hour They push aside the things that matter most Heart you broke.